Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Hey guys, I have a really great interview to share with you today. I am chatting with Alicia Trotwine, the amazing mom behind the website, The Mom Kind. Alicia shares her story of parenting her four kids, three of whom are on the spectrum, and she herself was diagnosed with autism as an adult. Alicia shares the whole story of what the diagnosis process was for her three kids and for herself, and we talk about a lot of different topics in this interview. We talk about the differences between boys and girls with autism, the challenges of being an autistic parent, parenting children with autism, and what best practices she utilizes in her home. She is such a positive voice, and I just love her honesty. It's really so inspiring, kind of her perspective on everything. And her website, you guys, you have got to check it out. It's themomkind.com. I'm going to put it in the show notes. And there are so many resources on so many different topics. It's it's overwhelming in a great way. So I highly recommend you check it out um, and give her a follow on social media because like I said, I just, I love her viewpoint. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation. Hi, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. So I am excited to share your story and your wisdom with our listeners. So to kind of start this off. You want to share a little bit about your background and your family? Yeah, absolutely. So the easy part of the story is uh, where we're at today is that I am an autistic mother of four children. 
Um, all of them are neurodiverse, but three of them are also autistic. And so that's the easy part. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one line answer. <laughs> right, that's easy. Um, where it gets kind of like more complicated is where our story began. So um, our three oldest are all girls. And it's our three youngest that have autism. My three oldest are all girls. And when my youngest daughter was born, I had three girls that were five and under. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely crazy. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. Obviously, we did not plan that correctly. Um, because, yeah, it was chaos. There are things that the kids will tell me, like, do you remember? I'm like, no, honey, I'm surprised I survived. <laughs> I don't remember anything from those years. Right. I'm like, I remember little bits and pieces here. I remember the important moments, but there are things where I'm like, I don't remember how I got from point A to point B sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you just get it done, right? We do. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm surviving. They're fed. I'm we're all alive. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and so from eight to um, so our middle daughter we started noticing some different issues and kind of the same issues came up with our youngest daughter. And so with those two, they had both been seeing psychiatry, psychology, counseling, therapy, you name it, since they were two. Mm -hmm. However, neither of them had a concrete diagnosis. For the most part, uh, we the only things that were really concrete was they had sleep troubles. Mm -hmm. They weren't even diagnosed with insomnia at the point. Um, they had sleep problems. They, you know, had some hyperactivity. The diagnosis at the time was a general mood disorder, mm -hmm. just so that there was something in their charts, but no one wanted to put an answer, which I do understand to some degree, um, because certain diagnoses are hard at a younger age. Yeah. But we went through this process. I mean, you're talking six years until my son was born, you know, son was born, we were going through this to where they were, you know, they were getting speech therapy. They had speech delays. They had, you know, issues with sleep, severe separation anxiety. Like I was not allowed to leave, um, you know, and, you know, just, you know, they're constantly jumping and spinning around, you know, just very, very busy bodies all the time. And the girls, I used to laugh because our youngest daughter would say something in their own little language to our middle daughter, and then our middle daughter would translate it to me. <laughs> and they understood each other, but it was definitely not, like, complete English or anything like that. It was their own, like, babble language that, that, yeah. <laughs> that they had, because um, that was after um, my middle daughter had started getting speech therapy right before the other one had. So there was, like, a time period where, like, it was almost like they were speaking two different languages. <laughs> Just one that there was no way for me to understand. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so everything kind of started going into motion, though, when our after our son was born. And so the first night in the hospital, you know, I stayed by myself. My husband stayed home with the girls. I did not want that many people in a hospital room with me. <laughs> Got that. You know, it was supposed to be like, you know, like most moms like, oh, I don't want to be alone when they're first kids. By the time there's a fourth child. Like, yes, leave me alone with these nice nurses that will take care of me. Like, y'all go home. Like, <laughs> I so get that. <laughs> and so, but he, you know, God bless him. He was a very healthy eater. He was breastfed and he ate on the hour, every hour he was nursing. And this happened for the first six weeks straight. 
this boy was just nonstop. He's a big boy. He's still a big boy. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I noticed right away was I wasn't getting any eye contact whatsoever. And for a child who's breastfed, that's significant. Yeah, interesting. And, you know, right away, I was very, I was almost positive in my mind that he was autistic. And that mm. was from birth on. And for me, my experience from that comes from, I have a much younger brother who was diagnosed um, quite a few years back, obviously, but with PDD-NOS mm-hmm. at age 10. And so I grew up helping take care of him. So I watched him from you know birth on, his development, his you know tremors, different things that was going on. And I could see it was like looking in like a, a mirror image of the two of them. Interesting. Even at like five weeks. Wow. Yeah. And so we were seeing stuff very early on. So I was concerned, but at the same time, you know, like that's not something you're like, oh, there's a test for at birth. You know, there's not yeah. that right now. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we just kind of watched. I noticed things, you know, I noticed him, you know, lining up toys. I noticed, I noticed him being very OCD, you know, within a, you know, by the time he was a year old. Um, there were different things I noticed. But at 18 months, we did fill out the, there's a develop, um, developmental uh, checklist. And we filled that out and we only had a few red flags. Not really enough to get a referral over for an autism diagnosis. And so we were told basically, kind of just watch this development, wait and see how things ha- you know things go. And by 19 months, so you're not, t- I mean, we were talking within a couple of weeks from that appointment, he had lost all of his work. Oh my gosh. Every last word that he knew, um, he, they were all gone. He did start, we did, you know, start working with um, a local program uh, called First Steps. That absolutely was amazing helping us with speech therapy, but it did take him quite a long time to get to where he's at now. Um, We went from learning multiple words a day to if at best one word a week. And so that was obviously enough to trigger a referral for an autism diagnosis. And at 23 months, he did receive his autism diagnosis. He's autism level two. And during that like same time, you know, of course there's chaos in my house all the time, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) But we were in the process of getting my youngest daughter in with a different doctor because we had been seeing, basically we had changed psychiatrists since the girls were two, but we routinely had the girls go to the same doctor. And so we decided since we didn't have a diagnosis yet, let's try separating them into two different doctors to see if they're not accidentally lump summing them together. Yeah. And so it was about six weeks later, we, I had raised concerns about autism because I, well, obviously I'm waiting for his diagnosis. I'm looking up autism and I had concerns about autism with her. I'm like, wow, this, you know, from a girl's perspective, like, no, it's not the same, but maybe if you, you know, think of it this way, it's po- quite possible, but who knows? I'm like, well, either way, she just needs to get fig- everything figured out. And we had scheduled an actual, you know, full testing, but they, the doctor, uh, the new psychiatrist was able to see her ahead of time. And they said, well, go ahead and bring her in, if anything, just to meet the doctor. We walked out of there. It was so clear to this doctor that we walked in and an hour later, we walked out with five different diagnoses, including wow. autism. Um, she properly diagnosed her with her autism, her ADHD, 
her anxiety and her uh, sleep disorders and gave us referrals for sleep specialists and things like that uh, because she does have sleep apnea as well on top of all that. Wow. And so, yeah, it was, you know, you're talking within six weeks, we had two different autism diagnoses. One that is considered the early diagnosis, one who's really considered a late diagnosis or what we felt at the time was a late diagnosis. Yeah. Cause you've been waiting for answers for a while. Right. I mean, you're talking six years for her. Yeah. And so in the process, you know, my older daughter does not, she, I started to realize I'm like, there's a lot of similarities, but there are differences. And we wound up getting her seen because with the family, you know, having two diagnoses, they were really to see her without as much, you know, referral reference. Mm-hmm. And uh, now just a little over a year later, she received her, her autism diagnosis at age 11. Okay. So within a year and a half, we went from no diagnosis to three. Oh my gosh. And then the final part and of the such story, a wide span of ages too. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy. Cause you think, you know, you got 23 months, you've got eight years old and then you have 11. Yeah. And so at the 11 year old's appointment, you know, this is a doctor that, you know, I wound up, you know, my son was diagnosed with their, you know, their, uh, clinic and my daughter, my younger daughter, I went up transferring her when her, her psychiatrist left the firm that they were asked that we were already seeing basically all three of the kids with one developmental pediatrician. Um, she raised the question, had I ever been diagnosed, you know, ever gone through screening for diagnosis for autism? And I said, no. And she says, well, you've said that, you know, when we went through a lot of the different questionnaires with your daughter, a lot of these things were things that you said you did as a child. Interesting. And I'm like, huh, that's something to consider. <laughs> and what, so, what was your reaction when she asked you that? Were you surprised? I was a little surprised, but I wasn't, in, I wasn't insulted or anything like that. It didn't, you know, we had a very good relationship at that point. Uh-huh. Um, I knew that anything that she brought up was a valid concern. Um, she did only, she was, you know, a, she is a developmental pediatrician. So she was not, a, that's not something she was able to do with me yeah. as an adult. Um, but, you know, she saw something, she was willing to speak out, which I amazingly appreciate Yeah, um, for her to even say something. So, so yeah, I started going, I went home and I started researching. I started looking up the test and, you know, just kind of like some general ones. And I'm like, wow, this, it sounds like I am. And it would make sense, you know, just considering, you know, I have three kids with the diagnosis, my brother's diagnosed with it, you know, like, yeah, there's that, you know, obviously genetic factor. And so it took me a few years before I wound up, you know, going and finding, actually finding a doctor willing to um, diagnose me as an adult, because that is a very hard process. God, you've seen the the diagnosis process from every angle. (laughs) Right. Yes. It is absolutely crazy to see like this, like just, you know, wide range of like how, where it's easy with my son, who's this little boy, where it's complicated with the girls, but we eventually got it. And then with me, it's like, how did you guys miss this for 33 years? Yeah. Because the doctors doing the diagnosis for me, like for them, it was like, they honestly knew within a couple minutes of meeting me before even going through the detailed diagnosis, you know, steps. How did getting the diagnosis for yourself impact, impact your life and the way, you know, your perspective of yourself and your family and kind of connecting all those dots? 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, you know, it was funny because part of the process of getting a diagnosis as an adult still requires a parental uh, form. Hmm. And basically, the, a lot of the questions were your early year, years from the parents' perspective, things that, you know, you wouldn't typically know of yourself. And that does make it hard for some people to get the diagnosis simply because parents might not no longer be here. Yeah. Um, for me, though, I went to my mom. She filled it out. We wound up laughing afterwards. Like, we were talking about stuff. She's like, I filled this out, and I've got to tell you about this. And there's this part where it made me think of this. And, like... We connected so much on that one. It was kind of funny because it just made things start making sense. Mm-hmm. And once I officially got the diagnosis, I mean, I was kind of in shock for a couple of days. There was never like a depression with it or anything. It was almost liberating. Yeah. Because it made sense of my entire childhood. And it helped me just accept myself and understand like, okay, that's not me being weird. That's just me being autistic. That, you know... Oh, I was bullied because I didn't understand the situation. Well, now I understand why I didn't understand the situation. It sounds kind of like this big, like, light bulb moment. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, it's one of those things where you've been autistic your entire life, but you didn't have a name to what it was you were feeling Mm -hmm. and what you were experiencing. You just knew your life, but you didn't know why. Mm -hmm. And the funny part was my mom is just – absolutely amazing like she really is just the perfect picture of what you know a parent should be especially with diagnosis that she you know fought for diagnosis with my son with my brother um she even though she was never able to get me the proper diagnosis she was nonstop trying to help me get the resources I needed whether it be with school whether it's doctors medication she was always looking for that but at home Everything was structured and routine for as long as I can remember. We ate dinner at a set time. Bedtime and wake-up times were the same thing. We did the same things. You know, there was a bedtime routine. There was a, you know, morning routine. You know, expectations were clear. You know, there were just things that were done. You know, the, one of the silliest things we did was, was sarcasm. And my mom would say something sarcastically and sometimes it was funny sarcasm. A lot of times it was funny sarcasm. It wasn't mean or anything, but she'd say something sarcastically and then immediately follow up with the phrase that was sarcasm in case you didn't catch it. Oh my gosh. I love that. She was like a natural special ed teacher and didn't even know. Yeah, she was. <laughs> and it was so funny. I'm like, and you know, part of that, I wonder because we do, you know, we do think that my maternal grandmother was autistic Um, My mom has her own struggles, but we don't think autism is a factor. But we do think that my maternal grandmother was autistic. And I wonder sometimes if some of those things are things that they did Mm -hmm. that she just naturally carried over. Um, But, yeah, it was amazing. So she did a lot of things that then I had been instilling in my children well before diagnosis. So there was no, like, huge change for us when it was like, you know, coming the routine, the only changes we really had were like 
posting actual visual schedules, having pictures, as opposed to just, these are the simple expectation. Here's a couple words. We did pictures. Yeah. You um, like already knew the best practices to be using. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of crazy on that when I was realizing, you know, even just with the kids, like, but we've been doing this. This is what yeah. we already do. <laughs> so what are, yeah, what are some of like the challenges, but also the benefits of being an autistic mother parenting autistic children? Yeah. So benefits, you know, the major benefit is just this understanding I have mm-hmm. when they're having a meltdown. It doesn't necessarily make it easier. But, <laughs> but anyway, That's a good point. I don't think there's an easier button anywhere, but, uh, but yeah, it definitely, you know, I'm able to understand why I'm able to kind of better search, even though they can, might not be able to tell me what's wrong. You know, we, I can play back through the steps. Okay. This happened. And then this happened. Okay. This happened. Well, that could be a possible trigger, you know, and work through that with them and just be a little bit more understanding. There's also things like, you know, when we were in, you know, school in person, <laughs> Um, the good, the good old days, you mean? <laughs> right when they were all like in school, learning there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and so we, I was able to understand a lot of the things that they were going through and explain it to them, so that they didn't have the same struggles that I had. They were able to build those friendships or get the resources they needed because I was able to explain those situations to them. Oh, that's great. But then on the other side, you know, there are. There are challenges. I mean, there's, you know, I don't, even for a parent who has one autistic child with, they, and they have no diagnosis themselves, there's struggles. So, mm-hmm. you know, having multiple children that are neurodiverse and myself being autistic, you know, there are times where our needs are very conflicting. Yeah. I mean, just this morning, my daughter, you know, she, we had a new, um, Oh, I can't think of words, right? Uh, semester start mm-hmm. <laughs> and yesterday and she did absolutely amazing. I was fully expecting like the meltdown. Okay. There's, you know, she doesn't get the breaks that she had because, you know, she had peed last semester, which means she went outside pretty much every day to get exercise. Now she's not getting that because she's, you know, in a classroom setting in a sense. Um, and I thought she was going to melt down yesterday. Well, yesterday she did amazing. So I think today was the, kind of the overwhelm because she comes in she's like, I don't know why I'm distressed. And so she came in, you know, sat in my office on her way to bring it. And I started responding um, to a teacher via text. And one thing I miss the whole having actual keys on a phone mm-hmm. and that clicky sound you get when you're typing on a keyboard of any sort. And so I, and I also have auditory processing issues so I have it set to where there is a sound. It's a little clicky sound. Okay. When I, when I text. Um, and so that I can make sure that I, you know, I'm hearing it. It's processing. Well, that sound, even though it helped me, completely set her off. And so it's this fine line of balancing both needs at the same time. Yeah, I can see how that would, that would be really hard. And I, but I love your your self-awareness to be able to identify that, that like, that's what, you know, you need to be able to cope with this situation, but also what your kids need in that, in that moment. Like that's hard, you know, for all adults and kids to kind of self-monitor. Exactly. Yeah. And we had, you know, we cost them. It's a daily thing on that one, you know, on having conflicting needs. I mean, just because we have 
all have this exact same diagnosis doesn't mean it affects us the same way, even with yeah. us all being family. You know, my, you know, we have, you know, my son is very sensory seeking, you know, he's crashing into walls if you don't have crash pads and, you know, trampolines and things like that. And then you have, you know, our oldest daughter who is completely sensory avoiding. She would rather be in any time that she got a chance, she would rather be in a dark room by herself without anything touching her. And which I laugh because I tell her she's my little vampire and <laughs> we have to request certain amounts of time where there is light on in her room. <laughs> but, you know, and then my, you know, our middle daughter, she's kind of a balance between the two. It's according to what the need is. But you can imagine with those different, very drastically different needs, there's going to be conflict. Yeah. And yeah. so, but I also think it's cool because then they're able to, you know, understand other people's needs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're learning so much by just having, you know, siblings that, you know, have different needs. But but also it sounds like you talk about this a lot within your family, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, I could really say for any family is no matter what the needs of your children or yourself are, is communication. I mean, it's just think out loud to some degree. You know, you've got to talk through different situations and Worst case scenario, your, your kid's going to tell you you're talking too much. And they tell you that anyway. <laughs> so, you know, you, there's no downside to talking through things. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about your the diagnosis process for your kids. You know, what's your opinion on the way, you know, girls are diagnosed versus boys? Because, you know, I've heard from other families too on how, you know, different the process can be. And I know, as you know, like, you know, there's a lot of subjective components to receiving that referral, receiving that diagnosis. So from your opinion, how did those two different scenarios play out? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a drastic difference. I know that there has been a bigger push for understanding in autism and girls from the medical side the last several years. But up until a few years ago, yeah, um, it was absolutely awful. I mean, the difference, because you look at the criteria especially in the DSM-4 um, and you, it's completely boy-based. Yeah. You know, the mental picture that especially older doctors have had is, okay, it needs to be Thomas the train and looking at wheels and, you know, <laughs> the, you know, lining up the, the trains and only putting the blocks and lining up and, co- you know, color coordinating the blocks. And, you know, yeah, there's like, like, there's like this cliche version of autism, yeah. right? And that's just not how it is. It's a spectrum. And for girls, the other thing I I see with that, girls do the same thing. It's just, it's different items, you know? And whereas a boy only wanting Thomas to train and lining Thomas to train up is seen as, oh yeah, that definitely you should consider autism is is exactly the same as a little girl collecting baby dolls and the baby dolls having to have set outfits and set locations when she goes to bed. You're right. That's just, oh, that's how girls are. That's, that's right. Okay. And so if a girl has 30 doll baby dolls, that's just, oh, that's just girls. That's mm. just how girls are. And it's the same way with baby dolls. And you know, one thing I find that girls do a lot more nature related stuff, sometimes it's jewelry. But one thing I found that was very common with my daughter, and I've seen in a lot of other ones is things of nature. And I was the same way. And so we would like have little rock collections and, you know, 
constantly be looking for different types of leaves that I wanted to keep. And obviously they, you know, crumble and you, or, you know, my poor mother, when I wanted to have a, you know, collection of roly polies, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, like we have these different things that it's the same concept, but like you said, there's a cliche of what autism looks like. And there was this lack of understanding and changing that girls do have separate interests. And so they're going to present differently. Whereas, you know, a boy who's, you know, tippy toe walking, you have a girl, yeah, tippy toe walking can happen girls, but you also have girls that are constantly spinning. And whether it's, you know, in person, you know, that their body is genuinely just going in a circle or they're looking for, you know, a merry-go-round type thing that spins them. There's this constant aspect of spinning or spinning items that, you know, definitely plays into how autism presents in girls, but isn't looked at from the boy's side. Yeah. And it sounds, it sounds like you were that. lucky to get in with, a, you know, a doctor that, you know, was finally able to, to see that and to see the whole picture and the whole context, especially for your girls. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, and I think the bigger thing was finding doctors who, you know, were newer out into the field. They were, you know, recently out of their doctorate. Mm-hmm. who were more open-minded to understanding things that they were able to diagnose better. Yeah. That's great advice for parents listening to that, like, you know, to hear your story of like perseverance to kind of stay at it and continue looking for answers and going to find new doctors. Um, and that's kind of, you know, going to be what, what works. Yeah. I mean, the, the big, the thing is you are your child's biggest advocate. You know them better than anyone else. Yeah. You know how they're at, they are at home. If they're in school, you're getting the reports from their teachers for sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you're the one person that yes, there's going to be people on your team as you go along that are absolutely willing and ready to fight for your child. But at the end of the day, you're the one that is the consistent as yeah. a parent. And if you're not getting the right answers, it's okay to go to a different doctor, to get a second opinion, to, you know, reevaluate things. There's nothing, you know, it doesn't mean that the doctor that didn't diagnose them is a bad doctor. It's just, they obviously weren't trained in that. Yeah. And that's okay. That's why we have specialists. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great perspective. It's not, you know, it's not, you're not being rude. You're not being disrespectful. You're just being that advocate at that time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk about your blog and your website because it is phenomenal. Like you have so much content on there over so many different topics. It's just like truly a wealth of knowledge. Um, so kudos on that. And w- really what inspired you to to start sharing your story and then sharing so many amazing resources? Yeah, well, first, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So yeah, after our youngest two were diagnosed, you know, I began looking up information online from, I wanted to see what it was like from a parent's perspective, having multiple children on the spectrum and having girls on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Because you get information from a doctor, you're told this is what you're supposed to do. But a lot of times it's hard to make that applicable in real life. Yeah. And I really wanted to see what other parents were doing. Um, there was at the time, which uh, Rob's absolutely amazing um, from the autism dad, he shared his perspective of having you know the three boys on the spectrum. And, but from that, that was at the time, that was the only resource. 
was his sharing of that, um, having multiples. And then um, for girls at the time when it comes, I mean, there were books available, but when you're talking about online, quick read, things that a parent with a young autistic child doesn't have time, you know, <laughs> things yeah. that they can read. <laughs> Um, there really, there wasn't much. And I found one article that really was sharing her daughter in a sense. She was sharing, this is what my daughter did at these ages. They may or may, and she's like, they may or may not be autistic related. They may just be who she is. She does have an autism diagnosis now, but I'm sharing this in case, you know, it helps somebody else. And her website wasn't anything about autism. Even. It was just a random article. And that really inspired me between both of them. I was like, you know, if there's no other information right now, so let's just share our journey and what we learn and hopefully at least helps one person, um, you know, one family out there. And from there, it just kind of grew. I mean, I would, I did a lot of research, a lot of speaking with different doctors, different advocates, you know, just constantly being willing to learn. And, you know, we just went through and I would share as much as I could, you know, if there were, you know, I do have, you know, I've had a lot of guest bloggers come on and add content from their perspectives of different parts of parenting, because yes, our kids have autism, but they're still kids. Mm -hmm. There are aspects of parenting that are the same, no matter what the diagnosis is. (laughs) Yeah. Like you said, the tantrum or meltdown or whatever is never going to be easy. (laughs) You know, that's always going to be something that's hard to watch as a parent. Right. And like, you know, so there's all these different things. So that's why, you know, I've always been willing to share things across, you know, different topics because, you know, I want somebody to be able to come and find what they're looking for in an easy place that's just going to be relatable and easy to digest in a short amount of time. Yeah, that's great. And it must be so valuable for parents, you know, maybe like you, when you were starting the the diagnosis process, if you would have had someone else, like, like you said, like a quick read on social media, a blog post, that's like, oh, this person has been there too. Like just that is so powerful. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's been like one of the best things has honestly been just speaking to so many parents, you know, throughout the world at this point. And, you know, just, for them, a lot of the, it's for me too, but it's just nice having those, that other person that can completely relate to you mm-hmm. and, you know, talk and understand what it's like in the chaos of not being able to answer a me- text message or, you know, yeah. <laughs> something like that, that is not, they understand you're not ignoring them. Yeah. You just haven't seen your phone or the outside <laughs> world in the last three weeks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I love, I love getting the chance to, to really dive deep with parents and really talk about, you know, their story and their perspective. Cause I think as an educator, like I always come from like, you know, I was a teacher, I always come from the teacher perspective. I learned so much with every conversation I have with a parent, cause it's a perspective I don't have. I don't have, you know, kids with special needs. And one question I always ask parents, cause I love hearing this answer is, you know, what advice do you have to teachers, to clinicians that are working with kids with autism? Because I think there's always so much value in the advice, you know, parents give. Because I'm sure you've worked with many, many, many teachers and clinicians and therapists. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny from that side is I um, had a teacher that I literally broke down crying reading her email. 
And we were, I had sent a message about my oldest daughter with autism and, you know, just letting her know, hey, because it was a new semester, new class. This is my daughter. This is what's going on. She was struggling today. I just want to let you know, let her know if she had any questions, you know, like if she noticed anything, let me know. If she had questions I could help with, let me know. And, you know, she let me know she was on break. She, you know, she was out, she's had surgery. So she's out for a little bit. There's a sub and everything, but she, you know, she makes sure to send a message over so we, that she get, you know, the right resources. And well, every email I have has my, you know, my signature line that has my name, my website, things like that. And apparently she looked over the website and this is what part of her email says, says my question, she's like, I looked over your blog. It's very, you know, very interesting. One, my question as an educator, what should I know or do for any child with autism? Are there important questions I should be asking? She's the first teacher to ever ask me that. And wow. I thought that was amazing. And that's the biggest thing right there is asking questions. You know, yeah. asking what, what can I do to help you through this class? What resources do you need to make, to make sure you are successful in my class? Yeah. You know, those are the big key things because a lot of times, yeah, we might not know a set answer, but then there are things we might know. Yeah. You're, you're the expert. Right. And so, you know, just asking, okay, you know, is there anything that you know is a set trigger for your child? So I can avoid that. We found out. Elmo was a trigger for my son. I had no clue, but now I'll make sure to tell every teacher. (laughs) And that's, that's such a simple, a, such a simple thing too. Like that doesn't take very much time. You don't have to laminate it, you know, but you're not, you're also not making assumptions. Like you've talked a lot about, you know, how different your kids are versus, you know, you and how, how different your needs are. Well, to not, as an educator, make assumptions like, oh, you're in my class with a diagnosis of autism. That must mean you need X, Y, and Z. Well, mate, not necessarily. Right. You know? Yeah. Because oh, I mean, the needs for, yeah, for the needs for one child can be very different from the next. Yeah, some needs are universal, sure. But, you know, realistically, you know, it's just, and sometimes it's based on the class and the environment and the topic. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, it's something that I think we need to do more and we need to do more. We need to not assume that reading an IEP is a substitution for directly asking mom or dad or a caregiver because that IEP might not have everything in there. Yeah, because the IEP is something that, you know, it develops over time. You know, if you have an IEP from preschool and you've gotten to the senior year of high school, yeah, it's probably going to have everything and anything you could need to know. Yeah. But... You know, if it's a new IEP or the first couple of years or it was at a different, you know, a different school, a different mm-hmm. environment, you know, different, these different factors, there's so much that can change in that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And and some of those little nuanced things might just be missing. Like you said, like the Elmo thing, like maybe that just didn't get in the IEP for some reason, but is important to know, or it's a new development. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we've, we've had to be very, you know, flexible with the whole COVID and virtual learning. Yeah. And, you know, we wound up doing an IEP, you know, I had to call a meeting because I'm like, hey, this is not going okay. We are struggling and there are things missing. And unfortunately, you know, 
we found that there were, you know, our daughter, she has, there's eight classes once you hit middle school. And there were a couple of teachers that really, they thought that they were implementing accommodations, but they weren't. Yeah. And when you ask, actually ask the hard question, well, what are the accommodations? There were no answers because they didn't have them. And so, and they weren't being mean. They just didn't have, didn't know how to apply it to virtual learning. I yeah. think had she been in a classroom, they would have, you know, those things would be easily set. But yeah. because the IEP was based off not being in a class, you know, it was being, the IEP was based off being in school. It wasn't yeah, that, about virtual learning. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, so many of the accommodations just aren't applicable to a virtual setting. So you, you're you going to need new ones. Good for you yeah. for calling a new meeting. Yeah, and I mean, the I want to say the funniest, and it was, the, it was a first for all of us. I mean, for me as a parent, seeing different IEPs, as an advocate for other people, as, you know, all of our, her IEP team completely, this was the very first for all of us in which we included the line, when Lily takes her five minute break per class, she can, since she you know can't communicate when she's having a hard time, she does shut down. So talking, typing, that would, wouldn't be possible. And so she can put a stuffed animal in front of the camera. <laughs> and when the teacher sees the stuffed animal, they can start a timer. And if she's not back after five minutes to let the, not to make a scene about it, but just to let her, you know, IEP manager, no, so that, that can be talked about later in the day. Oh, I love that. What a great cue to like, I need a break, but you know, yes, I'm going to be back. Yes, then vocalize it. They're not able to see it because they don't know why her, her, you know, screen's now shut off or they're just looking at a chair. They don't know what happened because she's not able to type it or say it because she's shutting down. Yeah. So here's a physical, you just put your, you know, and she has a giant squishmallow that she keeps by her desk. And whenever she gets up, she just puts it in her chair. Because yeah. that's where it goes. If I'm not there, my, you know, my squishmallow goes there. And like during in-person instruction, you know, ideally a teacher would be able to see those precursors and help her identify like, hey, you need a break. But a lot of that's missing, you know, during yeah. virtual instruction. Yeah. And so it's just learning, you know, learning to be flexible and understanding because the teachers are the teachers are learning right with us on this yeah. learning. I mean, it is a that is true. <laughs> it's crazy right now for everybody, and I yeah. don't envy any teacher right now. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's just it's all about just learning to be flexible and sometimes be really creative. Yeah, that's the best attitude to have because you know there's there's a lot of things outside of our control right now, but that's something that we can try to control is being flexible and going with the flow sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes that's all you can do. And I mean, just don't get stressed about it because getting stressed and getting upset about it isn't going to change it. Yeah. It's really just about communicating and working through it. Awesome. Alicia, thank you so much. I have, I feel like I chatted you for a long time, but I loved, I've loved hearing your story and, you know, your positivity and, and your honesty about, you know, sharing your behind the scenes and how everything went. Um, I so appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Where can people go to learn more from you? Can you show them your website and your Instagram handle, all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So the website is themomkind.com. Um, on most of the major uh, social media, you can just put at the momkind. 
And then I'm actually over on TikTok now where I'm able to answer a lot of more questions and more snippets for people a lot quicker. Oh, and, look at you. You're so cool. Yeah, I, I've been on the two days. Uh, my daughter hates it. Uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, nothing like having an 18 year old and you have a TikTok and they're like, why? why? You have more followers than me. I'm mad at you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and so that one, it's Alicia.trotwine um, because I've left that kind of be more of a personal so people know, like, yeah, you're talking to me, not just as a, you know, a website, but here's the person. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. I, I really enjoyed ch- talking with you. You as well. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.